Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 21st of February 2024. Flipped a number. This is number episode number 860 of Bitcoin. And the Argentinian peso, their dollar, their whole dollar, right? Like we have dollars in our wallet, you know, a, a dollar bill. Their peso is the Argentinian's dollar bill. One dollar or one Argentinian peso will now buy you exactly two Satoshis. That's right. Two Satoshis. We are seeing a sovereign currency of a sovereign nation go to sat dollar parity. That's amazing. And that's not that's not me saying, oh, see how Bitcoin is good and all that. This is how shitty the fiat currency of the Argentinian people not only is today, but has been for years. Did you know that they were like the top three richest nation in the world in like 1992? I mean, Argentina was a badass. They were a powerhouse. They had industry and they had people walking around with actual money that did work for them. And now, after just a couple of decades of communist or socialist rule, depending on what you, you know, however the hell you want to look at it, we've now got damn near peso sat, uh, peso sat um, parity. It's sad. For the Argentinian people. But that is the first thing that is on my mind today. The second thing is the Circle P, where people who are selling their goods and services and sats, and they can only be in the Circle P if they're selling their goods and services in Bitcoin, uh, are. And today, I'm just going to drop leather mint wallets into the Circle P. I didn't ask them. I, I'm, I'm at this point, I've got to the point where. I'm not going to ask permission. If somebody gets pissed at me because I do some free advertising for them, uh, who I don't care. We're, we've got to figure out a new advertising model. And the people that I put into the Circle P are people that I think are solid Bitcoiners. They have a good service or a product, or at least one that I think is good because I keep looking at Leather Mint stuff and I'm probably going to end up having, I've got to get a new wallet. And I'm going to buy one from Leather Mint because they're just, I look at their wallets. I look at the, the, the detail of the stitching, the kind of leather that they use to make their wallets and stuff. And I just, that's the one I'm going to buy. I, that, I'm going to buy a Leather Mint wallet. You can find them on Noster 
at Leather Mint, M-I-N-T, like minting. They're minting wallets out of leather. They do other stuff too. On Twitter, you can find them at The Leather Mint. So you can step into the world of The Leather Mint, where luxury meets everyday essentials. Discover our latest collection of stylish, functional, and high-quality leather goods from sleek signing device apparel to elegant belts, wallets, and passport holders. Each piece is handcrafted for those who appreciate sovereignty and style. Don't just wear accessories. Make a statement with the Leathermint. Visit us now and embrace the craftsmanship that sets you apart. Remember, Leathermint Wallets. Sovereignty in style. Check it out. For the guys over there in Zapstream, here's their website. You can go find them at theleathermint.com. I'm telling you, man, these things look really good. So let's go over here. I don't know. Let's look at uh let's look at their, I don't know, their Globetrotter Passport wallet. And get in here. It's gonna it has a tendency to take a minute. It's being it's being funky for me. Stop being funky. You're being stop it. Stop it. Okay, it's being too funky. Let's try it down here. Uh do, 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 do. yeah, let's just go let's go over here to the wallets. And I'm just going to pick this one because I think this is the one that I'm going to get. Check out the detail. Now look at the stitching down there across the bottom and up. Man, I mean, dude, duders, this is some, this looks really good to me. It's a nice, simple, functional wallet. The leather's thick. The stitching is good. Son of a bitch, it'll probably last forever. And it looks like they're selling it for 0.0021 Bitcoin. And you can have an option for an RFID shield so that the card, the credit cards and whatnot that you have in your pocket that are RFID enabled, they can't be scanned because they sort of got a Faraday cage around them. But that is an extra 0.0008 BTC. So... Give them a shot. I know I am going to. I'm probably going to order one today because, man, dude, my leather wallet is, it's in a bad way. (laughs) It's in a bad way, man. I really need to get rid of that thing. All right. Uh, First up, I need to make this announcement for Brains. Brains Mining, B-R-A-I-I-N-S Mining. Brains Mining has introduced lightning payouts. So if you've got a miner and you're connected to the brains pool, you can opt. It's a beta program right now. So you got to be, you know, you got to say, hey, I want in, but they're going to pay you out in lightning. They finally have done it. So for those people that are say lightning, you know, that say lightning doesn't work and lightning's bullshit and lightning isn't Bitcoin and all that kind of stuff. Well, welcome to lightning payouts on brains pools. They are excited to be the first mining pool using the lightning network our miners can now instantly receive rewards with no minimums or fees. Now, that fee thing may change in the future. I'm not speaking for brains. I'm just saying, watch out for that. Because a time may come when fees on the Lightning Network actually exist 100% of the time. Right now, you flip a coin, maybe you pay a fee, maybe you don't pay a fee. But I'm pretty sure I'm solid in my prediction that at one point or another, lightning is just going to cost money no matter what the hell you do. Okay, so let's get into today's news. Oh, actually, no. One more thing. 
This is coming from me. This is important, so listen up. It There very well may be an issue developing in Bitcoin with around this op CTV shit that none of us want to see. And I'm not... I'm not saying anything about OPCTV. I'm not saying anything good about it, neutral about it, or bad about it. I'm not, it's out of my pay scale. However, here's what I think is going on. Let me just read you the note that I put up this morning. If OPCTV gets in, it allows collaborative custody, but it doesn't force it. Am I right? If so, then I don't have to engage with it if I don't want to. If I don't, I'll be labeled elite. And if I do, well, God, why would I? Why would I just, I have, I have UTXOs. We'll get to this in a second. I have some UTXOs. They're mine. They're sovereign. I don't share them with anybody, right? If TV gets in, and I decide to not share my UTXOs with somebody so that everybody in the world can have their own UTXO, well, actually, they won't be able to have their own UTXO. We'll get to that in a sec. Then am I going to be labeled an elite person? Will I be an elitist? And what I'm getting at is that this isn't like the whole SegWit2x thing. And if you were around that time, you saw the warfare. You saw the, the people just trashing each other, they were doing ad hominem attacks. They were trying to trash each other's rep on the street. It was bad. I never want to see it again. But that was a force of consensus rules, right? Because it was like, okay, SegWit's going to get in. That is going to be something that you can either use or not use. But the consensus rule change part of SegWit2x was the increasing of the block space by two times, hence the SegWit2x. So 2X uh, on that whole SegWit2X thing, that was going to be a consensus rule change and it was dangerous. Even if it was going to be good for Bitcoin or bad for Bitcoin, it was a dangerous situation because it was a consensus rule change. I don't see that being OPCTV. I don't see OPCTV as being anything but an option. You can use it if you want. You don't have to. But this is turning into a a divisive issue again. And I'm wondering if it's worth it at all to get as shitty as we were with each other back in the old SegWit2x days, which was 2016, 2017. So quite a while ago. In, in, in terms of Bitcoin, it's ancient history. But here we are again. You know, I got, I got people, and I'm not, not going to say names, but I'm seeing notes and tweets and shit like that of people digging into certain people because of this elitist view that if you have your own UTXO, you're going to be one of a very few people. And if you can keep those UTXOs throughout your lifetime and throughout your children and your children's children lifetime, that they're going to be some kind of elite class. And that if we don't put in TV, that nobody like almost Nobody on the planet will be able to use Bitcoin. I don't think that that's right. But again, above my pay scale. What I'm saying is that OPCTV is not a consensus rule change. If it gets in, you don't have to use it. It's a choice that you can make. And 
I don't think the, the the kind of stuff that I'm seeing start up worries the shit out of me because I'm starting to almost already see ad hominem attacks on people. I'm starting to get the vibes of 2017. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't want that. We don't want to be there. We don't want to have anything to do with it. Trust me. Ask me how I know. If you're in the Zap.stream live stream, go ahead. Ask me how I know. <laughs> just, just saying. Now on to some other bullshit. Um, there was a, a man. He there, or there is a man. He's not dead. He's still alive. And in fact, the reason that I'm going to bring this up is because he testified at the Craig Wright trial. And we're going to go back in time, but this time we're going to go back past the whole Segwit2x thing to right when Craig Wright came on the scene. If you're wondering where this asshole came from, Rory Kellen Jones kind of has some answers for you. This piece is entitled The Battle of Bitcoin, and it's on his substack, and it will be linked in the show notes. Now, like I said, he was brought up as a witness by COPA. He was not cross-examined by Craig Wright's crew. Then after the tr- after the trial or his his after him being on a witness stand yesterday or early today or whatever it was, he said he was going to write a blog post but and that since Craig Wright had blocked him, can somebody please give him this blog post? I'm going to give it to all of you right now. I was due in court today. And I was rather looking forward to it. I was due to give evidence at the Royal Courts of Justice in the Epic case, which should determine whether Craig Wright is Satoshi Nakamoto, the pseudonymous inventor of Bitcoin, or a fanaticist and possibly a fraudster. The case pitches Wright against COPA, the Cryptocurrency Open Patent Alliance, a group of Bitcoin developers that have grown tired of seeing the Australian IT expert wage courtroom warfare against anyone who dared to suggest that he was not Satoshi. His libel and copyright actions have met with limited success. In his case against crypto podcaster Peter McCormick, he was awarded one pound sterling in damages after judges criticized his lies and deception. While a Bitcoiner who calls himself Hodlinot defeated Wright in a libel case in his home country of Norway, But the apparently unlimited resources available to Craig Wright, whose biggest supporter is Canadian casino billionaire Calvin Ayer, means that taking him on is impossible for anyone who doesn't have a few million dollars in loose change just lying around. Enter COPA, backed by the likes of Twitter founder Jack Dorsey and with an ample war chest to fight this case. My involvement dates back to 2016. When, as the BBC's technology correspondent, I was one of three journalists called by the PR agency and given what seemed like an intriguing story, the identity of Satoshi Nakamoto. We were each separately introduced in the agency's Tottenheim Court Road offices to a man who never seemed comfortable in his own skin, Craig Wright. The proof he offered? Signing with a private key that he was supposedly the property of Satoshi was a bit of a mystery to anyone not versed in the complexities of the crypto world, but Gavin Andreessen, a trusted figure in Bitcoin circles, had seen the same demo and appeared convinced 
But within hours of Craig publishing details of his evidence in a blog post, the quote-unquote proof was being torn apart at a New York crypto conference. Craig Wright then promised extraordinary evidence to back his claim. He asked me, Gavin Andreessen, and another cryptocurrency expert, John Matonis, each to send around five pound sterling worth of Bitcoin to the address used by Satoshi Nakamoto in the first ever transaction. He would then send it back, proving he had control of an address which had not been used to make payments since 2009. I sent my payment and waited and waited. Nothing happened. And the following day, Craig published a blog post saying, quote, I do not have the courage to go ahead with delivering the proof. Having written that up and now more dubious than ever about the whole crypto world, I walked away from the story. Although in 2021, it formed a chapter in my book, Always On. Meanwhile, it was not long before Craig Wright bounced back, starting a whole crypto empire with Calvin Air claiming hundreds of patents, launching something called Bitcoin Satoshi Vision, and insisting that his was the one true Bitcoin, and the promoters of BTC, which most of the world see as Bitcoin, better beware, because he and his lawyers were coming for them. The Craig and Calvin show even had its own media empire, CoinGeek, providing coverage of all their battles about as fair and balanced as GB News. I watched with amazement as he carried on as if the events of May 2020 or 2016 had not happened, as if he had not offered extraordinary proof of his Satoshiness, and then, like the bridegroom who thinks better off or better of it on the way to church, failed to show. Every now and then I would take to Twitter to remind him that he still owes me 0.01701 BTC and the quick, simple way to prove his claim that he was Satoshi Nakamoto would be to send it back. Eventually, he blocked me, the 21st century equivalent of putting his fingers in his ears and shouting, I can't hear you. But friends kept me abreast of tweets where he tried to trash my reputation. The single worst example came in November of 2022 when he claimed that I had lost a 60-minute interview with him and spliced together five minutes with new questions. In fact, on the day when we did the television interview, he said at the start that he would only answer one question, why he had decided to go public, although I passed, sorry, sorry, although I pressed on and eventually kept him talking for about five minutes. The ridiculous and offensive claim that we had spliced in different questions was bizarre. What would have been the purpose of that? When I tweeted about this, suggesting that I needed to find a cheap libel lawyer, Calvin Air chimed in, quote, You are being dishonest in this. That is what history will record. Craig is correct. I responded that such a serious charge against a reporter needed evidence to back it up and invited the billionaire to identify the questions that had been spliced into the BBC interview, which sits permanently on YouTube. Answers, there came none. It struck me that Craig Wright was using the BSV platform that Calvin Eyre had given him to defame anyone who dared to suggest that there were holes in his story. He was also clogging up the courts with vexatious litigation and even wasting police time. In 2020, he claimed that hackers had broken into a Surrey home and stolen 111,000 Bitcoin, then worth about $1 billion, but nearly $6 billion at today's price. 
Discovering the theft, Wright did what anyone would do in their in the circumstance. First, destroyed the evidence by wiping computers, then called the police. Well, perhaps not everyone, and certainly not in that order. Faced with the biggest single heist in UK history, you might imagine that Surrey police might launch a massive manhunt. But when, in the months after the story broke, I rang to find out how the investigation was going, the police public relations department seemed strangely uninterested in helping, which did not stop Craig Wright starting one of his most bizarre legal cases, this time against Bitcoin developers, who he said had a legal and moral duty to reverse the transaction which saw his money being moved. So, when last year I was invited by COPA's lawyers to give evidence in their case against Craig Wright, I was happy to oblige. My witness statement, which you can read here, referred only to the events of 2016 and the facts of my dealings with Craig. At no point did I give an opinion on whether or not he was Satoshi. As the trial got underway at the beginning of this month, with COPA accusing Wright of forgery on an industrial scale, I was told that I was scheduled to appear in the witness box on the morning of Wednesday, the 21st of February. I would be cross-examined by Wright's barrister, Lord, Lord Grabiner KC, a giant of the commercial bar with a fearsome reputation. While I was nervous about what I might suffer at the hands of this legal titan, I was also rather relishing it, especially after Craig Wright added me to the long list of people he trashed during his week-long cross-examination by Copas KC, Jonathan Hugh. He accused me of being very pro-BTC. And when Mr. Hughes suggested that I was a highly respected journalist, he replied, he's incredibly biased. For anyone who knows me or has followed what I've written about cryptocurrencies over the years, the idea that I am a big fan of Bitcoin may provoke a choking fit. In Always On, I use a line from Hunter S. Thompson about the music business to illustrate my view of the whole crypto scene. A cruel and shallow money trench a long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs. There's also a negative side. <laughs> That's pretty good. I wondered whether I would be given the chance to refute Wright's claims from the witness box. But late last week, as I was reading the tweets of one of a clutch of enthusiasts reporting every line of this trial, I came across some startling news. Lord Grabiner had told the judge that he did not intend, after all, to cross-examine me and several of Copa's other witnesses. What did this mean? Did I still need to turn up in court? No, I was told that would not be necessary. By declining to challenge my evidence, Craig Wright has effectively accepted that my version of events was accurate and one the judge, Mr. Justice Mellor, would take into account while considering his final judgment in the case. Even if I am just a little disappointed to have been denied a speaking role in this courtroom drama that is a satisfactory outcome, and one of which I shall remind the self-proclaimed Satoshi the next time he defames me. Oh, and by the way, that 0.01701 BTC, which was worth about five pounds sterling when I sent it to the Bitcoin founder's home address, is worth nearly 700 pounds at today's market price. But somehow... I suspect I won't be seeing that again. I'm telling you, man, this whole thing has gone on for at least four years longer than it needed to. Craig Wright has perjured himself in court, presented false evidence, forgeries, fabrications, 
for the entirety of all of his court cases. He has been caught again and again and again and again. And yet the court system of the world seems to have no, I don't know, like an unending amount of patience to let this man waste their time. And I'm never going to understand it. I'm I'm just never going to understand it. The judge, the courts and the judges, they're not allowed to take money from Calvin Air to put this shit in, you know, on the court. It's you can't just rent a court. It's not possible. That's not the way these justice systems work, at least not in the West. Now, sure, bribery occurs, but at one point or another, somebody somewhere is going to go, why are you giving this guy time? You know, and then they're going to dig into it and find out you can't be paid to have a court case in your court. You can't be paid to put this shit on the docket as if it's fucking legitimate. So somebody somewhere is going to know something about how much bullshit this is. And yet here we are today understanding that that's not what's going on. They're not getting paid to put this shit on trial. This shit, for some reason or another, is viewed as a legitimate gripe even after the same person has demonstrated nothing but a contempt for the court's time. And I don't understand how that works. Because if I guarantee you, if I did the same shit that Craig was doing, presenting false evidence, forgeries, lying on the stand, all the stuff that he's done, I would at least have multiple contempt of court charges brought against me. And I would, without doubt, see jail time on those charges, if nothing else. If somebody, if somebody out there listening to me is a trial lawyer, either in the United States or the UK, could you please consider sitting down with me on the phone, even and I'll even interview you on the air to find out why this thing persists after the person in question has demonstrated nothing but contempt for the court systems of the West. If you will do that, I would be most appreciative. All right, let's move on. The LockBit ransomware gang has broken up after taking $120 million in Bitcoin. I brought it to you yesterday. We've got a little bit more detail about it today. This is Ryan Ozawa for Decrypt.co. LockBit, described by law enforcement officials as one of the world's most prolific ransomware games, has been dismantled in a coordinated campaign involving officials in the United States, the United Kingdom, and half a dozen other countries, multiple agencies announced today. The U.S. Department of Justice unsealed an indictment against two Russian men, here we go, Artur Sungatov and Ivan Kondratetyev, or however you pronounce it, for carrying out lockbit attacks against U.S. companies. Artur allegedly hit manufacturers, insurance firms, and other companies across at least six states since January 2021. Quote, Today, U.S. and U.K. law enforcement are taking away the keys to their criminal operation, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland said in a DOJ release. Quote, And we are going a step further. We have also obtained keys from the seized lockbit infrastructure to help victims decrypt their captured systems and regain access to their data. Kondratyev, or whatever, known online as Bastard Lord, 
Bastard Lord, that's a great name, allegedly deployed the ransomware on targets ranging from city governments to corporations in Oregon, Puerto Rico, and overseas starting in August of 2021. The Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Asset Control sanctioned both men banning U.S. individuals and companies from doing business with them and freezing any assets under U.S. jurisdiction and added nine Bitcoin and one Ethereum wallet addresses linked to them to the sanctions list. The months-long Operation Kronos resulted in the seizure of dozens of servers across Europe, North America, and Australia that were used to carry out LockBits ransomware attacks, which encrypted victims' data and extorted them out of payments, according to a Tuesday announcement from Europol. Authorities also took control of the portal on the dark web where LockBit published sensitive data stolen from victims who refused to pay. Quote, we have now destroyed the online backbone of the LockBit group. One of the world's most prolific ransomware gangs said Europol executive director Catherine DeBole in a statement. So uh, there's some a little bit more to the story, but you've got the gist of it. And the reason I brought it back today was because this was, it's now known that this was not just going on in the UK. This is, was a coordinated effort by governments of the West to do this. Now, I'm not a fan of LockBit. And in fact, I never even knew who they were until the story broke out. And it's come to my attention, which we'll see in the boostograms, uh, that they are well-known. And it's just because I'm sort of not in the know that I have never heard of them before. But apparently, they're a big deal. And now they've all been caught. And they're Russian as if we needed any more Russian bullshit to sink our teeth into. I'm getting tired of the Russian story, the Russian narrative. It's getting old. I'm done with it. But the notion that they've got nine Bitcoin address wallets and one Ethereum wallet on the OFAC sanctions list, unless they actually have the keys to those wallets, which I am not seeing in this story, then they don't have the Bitcoin. They don't have it yet. They probably will get it. But uh, as far as I can tell, they don't have it yet. Uh, Let's run numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities, oil, West Texas Intermediate is up almost a full point, back up to $77.71. Brent North Sea is uh, up two thirds of a point, eighty two eighty five. Natural gas, <laughs> natural gas is up twelve and a quarter points. You heard me right, twelve and a quarter points. But it's only reached back up to one dollar and seventy six cents per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline is up two thirds of a point to two dollars and thirty cents. Shiny metal rocks not doing well today. Gold is down a third of a point. Silver is down one and a quarter. Platinum is down two and three quarters. Copper is the only winner. It's up a quarter. Palladium is down three. Uh, looks like ag is doing eh, doing well today. Yeah. Uh, chocolate is up six points. And the biggest loser today is the corn. 1.85% to the downside. Live cattle is up a quarter. Lean hogs up a half. Feeder cattle up one third. What did bonds do today? Well, they're all in the green from the one month all the way to the 30-year United States Treasury bond. All of them have gained in yield. So higher interest rates are occurring. Remember what Lynn Alden said. It's like watching seagulls get run over by a car slowly. 
and they she just doesn't understand why the seagulls don't get out of the way. They've got warning. They've got warning. Please understand that. Now, getting into Clark Moody Bitcoin, we have dropped below the $1 trillion line. We are now at $50,670 on one Bitcoin. We have a $994.8 billion market cap. There are 19,633,767.99 BTC in circulation. Our average block sizes are weighing in at 1.71 megabytes. Hash rate is 563 exahashes. Average fees per block are about a quarter of a Bitcoin. And the blocks space percentage over the last 30 days uh, that will introduce, you know, trash like ordinals into the blocks has risen to 2.3%. So ordinals are back on the rise. I wish it wasn't true, but it is. Now, mempool.space, 207 blocks carrying 151,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear at high priority rates of 21 Satoshis per V-byte. Low priority is going to cost you 19. Anything under 5.99 Satoshis per V-byte going to be purged for mempools around the world. Uh, mempool.space is flashing 579 exahashes per second as the hash rate. So do with that what you will. Now from Free Assange, episode 859 of Bitcoin and OXTR with a thousand sats says, and here it is, Lockbit is a pretty well-known group selling ransomware services. So I'm wrong. I just, I, I didn't know. I've never heard of them, but I trust people like, like OXTR because, well, just because of some of the other stuff that, that I read that they write. Anyway, God's Death 537 says, thank you, sir, and fuck seagulls. No, thank you, and you're right. Axelrod with 451 says, dad jokes have reached all new lows. Yes, yes, they have. Pies with 420 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. That's the weather report. All right, before we get into the news uh, for the second part of the show, uh, Michael Saylor was on television the other day. Yeah, he was. He was on television. He was talking about Bitcoin. Let's listen to what he has to say. Let's talk about your existing holdings. As I mentioned in the intro, now worth around $10 billion. You have paper gains of about 70% or so, which a lot of people uh, would like to see that sort of return. At any point, would you sell? When would it make sense to take profits there? Well, I've famously said I'm going to be buying the top forever. Uh, Bitcoin is is the exit strategy. It, it is the the uh, strongest asset. So, what we see right now is the Bitcoin has just emerged as a trillion dollar asset class, and it's alongside uh, names like Apple and Google and Microsoft. But the difference between Bitcoin and the Magnificent Seven is Bitcoin's an asset class. It's not a company. There's not a lot, enough room in the capital structure of those companies to hold ten trillion or a hundred trillion dollars worth of capital. So Bitcoin's competing against gold, which is 10x what it is right now. It's competing against the S&P index. It's competing against real estate, a $100 trillion-plus asset class as a store of value. So we believe capital is going to keep flowing from those asset classes into Bitcoin because Bitcoin is technically superior to those asset classes. 
And that, that being the case, there's just no reason to sell the winner to buy the losers. All right. So this is the this is the Michael Saylor that I really enjoy listening to. There there's another version of Michael Saylor where he gets like, I don't know, a little too jovial, a little too jocular, you know, when he's doing these uh uh uh, appearing on CNBC and NBC and whatnot. Um, and that's what he says stuff like it's going up forever, Laura, it's just going up forever. And we all laugh about it and it's definitely meme worthy. But what he said right here, what he said right here is that's, that's the guy that I like to hear from because that's the guy that makes sense. That's the guy that has the most amount of impact on potential, you know, turning, you know, no coiners that are like kinetic no coiners into potential Bitcoiners in the future. Now, he says something in this about capital structure. And the way that he phrased it is almost perfect. And it it definitely needs to be teased out a little bit. He was saying that we have these people that are constantly comparing Bitcoin to things like companies. It's not a company. Now, we know that. But this is what we've been taught since we were children. And our parents were taught since they were children. We've never seen anything like Bitcoin ever. Nobody has. We don't know how to properly file it. And what I mean by that is give it a name. And because of that, we keep trying to drop Bitcoin into the file folder that contains Apple and Google and companies with CEOs. And he says the pivotal thing, the capital structure of these companies cannot hold trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars. Bitcoin can. It's a different animal because of its containment size. That's an important thing to note. These companies are not able, according to Michael Saylor, to hold that amount of capital. They just don't have the structure to do it. Half of me and most of my gut wants to say, hold my beer. There have been, and I I know this is going to sound non sequitur, there have been many video games over the years that suggest that corporations will end up supplanting and or superseding governmental structures on the face of the planet. They would only be able to do that if their capital containment ability was as great or greater than something like the United States Treasury, the Federal Reserve, uh, Central Bank of Europe, you know, the Bank of England, that kind of shit. Right. I think they're going to try to do that. I don't think that they're like scheming to do it. I think that there is just that just their natural growth that they might actually see a time when they could do it. And if they can, you don't want to have anything to do with them even more that you don't want to have anything to do with the federal government of whatever country you live in right now anyway, because they're going to be even worse. And if you think it's bad now, You wait, buddy. But I am hoping that Michael Saylor has hit upon something that I really need to pull apart. Is it possible that he's right 
and that there's no way Apple would ever be able to hold something like $50 trillion on their balance sheet because there's no corporate structure that allows them to do that. That is the, the that's the meat and potatoes of what he said. Sure, we can all look at the fact that he's never going to sell and he's always going to buy the top. That's not the important part of what he said. He was talking about the corporate structure not allowing, not being able, the not being structured enough or in a certain way to hold the kind of money and capital that Bitcoin can. And if he's right, whoa, Nelly, holy shit, that's a big thing to say. And that should be something that you should be chewing on well after this episode ends. Now, let's get it to end by this. Well, it's not, we got a couple of things. Uh, analysis, El Salvador's decision and the Salvadorian mainstream media's reaction. This is nobsbitcoin.com. Bitcoin perception report aims to understand how Naib Bukele's government's Bitcoin adoption since 2021 Bitcoin law has been perceived by local media. It analyzes 1,440 articles from five major local media outlets written by 152 reporters from January the 1st, 2021 to December 31st, 2023, just a couple of months ago. Quote, In reflecting upon the journey of Bitcoin's adoption as legal tender in El Salvador and its subsequent media coverage, it becomes evident that this pioneering move has navigated a complex landscape of enthusiasm, skepticism, and controversy. Quote, El Salvador's adoption of Bitcoin has not only been a bold financial experiment, but also a case study in how media coverage can shape public opinion on such a global scale, said Bitcoin Perception founder and one of the report's authors, Fernando Nicolic. Quote, our work seeks to identify the courses or causes that shape the perception of Bitcoin in the media in El Salvador and provide suggestions on how to improve journalistic coverage of Bitcoin in aspects such as adoption, regulation, and significance of its technology. Bitcoin perception data reveals that Salvadoran media's Bitcoin coverage is deeply entwined with political and historical narratives, often casting a critical eye on President Nayib Bukele's policies. Articles frequently discussed unmet promises by Bukele's administration, including skepticism around Bitcoin adoption outcomes. Bitcoin perception data suggest a pattern where Bitcoin attracts media attention primarily during price drops, revealing a bias that also extends to international media, but is particularly pronounced in the local context due to additional political factors. Coverage of the Chivo wallet highlighted this critical stance, with media focusing on the negative aspects such as ATM shortages, the alleged misuse of the $30 incentive, technical glitches, and issues of identity theft overshadowing the report of 2.1 million Chivo users by La Juela. The Salvadoran media's coverage was predominantly negative regarding Bitcoin mining initiatives, despite El Salvador's innovative steps towards using geothermal energy for mining Bitcoin. The launch of Bitcoin as legal tender was marred by media focus on political opposition. The hashtag no AI Bitcoin campaign and other protests, including the burning of a Chivo ATM. 
Notably, Salvadoran media often defer to international experts and outlets like Steve Hankey and the Financial Times during this timeline, reflecting a broader pattern of admiration and reliance on foreign critique. Quote, some media outlets remain or maintained a positive outlook on Bitcoin potential in El Salvador. The primary issue, however, is the lack of understanding of Bitcoin. The media frequently blurs the distinction between Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Education is paramount in the Bitcoin community where resources to learn about Bitcoin around abound globally in El Salvador. Initiatives like Me Premier Bitcoin and Bitcoin Beach are leading educational efforts. Okay, so the meat potatoes of this one is that the media coverage in El Salvador by homegrown El Salvadoran journalists and media outlets were basically taking the bait of Steve Hankey, the Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, and basically just parroting the message of the West. And what is the message of the West? Bitcoin bad. And it's always going to be that way. It's always going to be that way. But it demonstrates a much deeper issue when it comes to journalism. How many of you have seen all of those, you know, reels like on on uh, on uh, YouTube that's got, you know, it shows like one guy, you know, saying a statement like a talking head from some local news outlet and then they replay it again. But this time there's two and it's a different local news outlet from a different state. And it's they're in lockstep. They're, they're like put right over each other. The, 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 the Well, not the picture, but the audios put right over each other. And it's the same cadence. It's the same structure. And it's certainly the same words. And then they put a third and a fourth and a fifth. And then it's 16 and then it's 32. And then by God, if they don't go all the way to like 64 and it's the same shit, 64 different pairs of people from 64 different news outlets saying the same goddamn thing. And if you don't think this is how music like Taylor Swift's bullshit gets to the top of the fucking charts without being anything special itself, then you're fooling yourself. This is exactly how it's done. You put the same message, the same song, the same movie, the same actor, the same whatever bullshit in front of the same people day in, day out, day after day after day after day after day, and all of a sudden you've done what? You've successfully fabricated a narrative. Whether it's false, indifferent, true, it does not matter. It's propaganda. And that's what this report is telling us. There is no journalism left. It doesn't exist. If you want journalism, you're going to have to turn to independent media. And we're going to get it wrong. We're going to get it right. We're going to be neutral. Guess what? It's going to be like it was in the old days where there were people that got shit wrong, people that got shit right. And they would, and the whole system would self-correct. Not anymore. Not, or at least not right now. That is not the case right now. You are given a script. And the Financial Times is given a script by the International Monetary Fund. And they get their script from people like the fat man at the BIS, the uh, Bank of International Settlements, uh, Burger Meister Meisterburger, Augustin Karstens. 
you know, I'm not, I'm not actually sure if that's where they get it, but this is how it works. The news medias at this point are just mouthpieces for the people that are truly in control. You never heard of Augustine Karstens until a couple of years ago. I know I didn't. We never gave a shit about the International Monetary Fund until a few years, maybe a couple of years before that. We didn't. We didn't care about the bond market because it was just never talked about, ever. Why wasn't it ever talked about? Why, why is its importance in the world's monetary system not ever talked about until just fucking recently? Because the news medias have been forced into a situation to talk about it because that's all that anybody can talk about. But generally speaking, they set the narrative. They set the tone. They will take the fact that Bitcoin is bad for El Salvador to the top of the charts while the guy selling papooses on the street is sitting there hovering around 510 on the list. Not going to get shit. Even though he's the guy saying, holy shit. If I was in Argentina, I'd be really fucked if I didn't have Bitcoin because, man, I thought I could have bought, you know, one peso. I could have bought thousands and thousands and thousands of Satoshis. And now one peso buys two Satoshis. It's all a lie. And if you're listening to anybody from major media outlets, you don't know what's going on in actuality. And it's sad. Now. Let's not do that one. Hack zero. Again, from nobsbitcoin.com. Open source, plug and play, Bitcoin node for vendors. Hack zero is an open source Bitcoin node, which is particularly well suited for vendors who want to self-host their own BTC pay server in a non-custodial and trustless way created by Nicholas Dorier or Dorier. The Hack Zero is running BTC Pay Server as its software. Quote, presenting the Hack Zero, a fully open source Bitcoin node, which is particularly perfect for vendors who want to self-host their own BTC Pay Server and use Bitcoin as it was intended to be used in a non-custodial and trustless way, announced GoBurMe. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's GoBur.me. That's G-O, the Bitcoin symbol, R-R-R dot me. I don't even know how they got the Bitcoin symbol into that thing. That's amazing. We didn't create the Hack Zero, by the way. That was Nicholas Dorier, who was also kind enough to update the Hack Zero image so it includes many important updates right from the first boot. The Hack Zero consists of a Rock Pro 64 equipped with an NVMe SSD and is running BTC Pay Server as its software. It's also a fully-fledged Bitcoin and Lightning node, Core Lightning, or it uses LND, Core Lightning, or Eclair, and it's baked right into the BTC Pay Server software and can be managed from a web UI. Hack Zero is running BTC Pay Server as its software and features a fully-fledged Bitcoin and Lightning node, thank God. Uh, and those are baked right into the BTC pay server, uh, uh, according to this, although that's sort of a repeat of what we just said. So the hardware is this. It's a Rock Pro 64. It has a 32 gigabyte EMMC flash storage on board, a one or a two terabyte NVMe SSD drive. Uh, it's PCI Express adapter, Rock Pro official high profile heatsink, 
a 40 millimeter RGB silent fan, a 12 volt power supply, USB stick for backups, and 3D printed enclosures. The price, and by the way, we'll we'll do it in in euros. 393 euros to 463 euros uh, with value added tax. If you want to just buy it with Bitcoin, which I highly recommend, it's anywhere between uh, 825,436 Satoshis to 973,591 Satoshis. So you can go get that at Go Burmy. Go Burmy. GoBird.me. That's GoBird.me. And it is, in fact, www.gobrrr.me. Go pick one up. If you're a vendor and you want to just say, you know, I'm just done with all the rest of these these idiots out here in the world, want to be sovereign, you want to take payments and just basically tell everybody, this is none of your business. This is between me, you, and the fence post. Then go to go be rrr.me and check it out. By the way, Nicholas Dorier is the guy that created BTC Pay Server in the first place. And I think he did that. I can't remember who it was. It wasn't Coinbase. He was mad at somebody. I want to say it was the, I remember the tweet. It was, these are lies. I will obsolete you. And I cannot for the life of me remember who the fuck he was talking about. I want to say it's Circle. I want to say it was the 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 company Circle, which now has uh, the USDC, the stablecoin USDC. I want to say it was Circle because they stopped taking Bitcoin payments, and they were one of the only people that vendors could use to align with uh, taking BTC for their goods and services. And Nicholas Dorier got really pissed off, wrote a tweet, said, "These are lies. I will obsolete you." And within six months had a full working and hard, I mean, just locked down code for BTC pay server, which he just released for free open source. You'd find it on GitHub. I can actually start crank up a G uh, uh, a BTC pay server on my lightning node right now. In fact, I used to have it running, but I'd never really had a use for it. Cause I don't really have, I don't really have something to sell. But BTC Pay Server is top of mind. It's one of the most important projects in the Bitcoin space. And now Nicholas Dorier has basically cobbled together a unit to drop BTC Pay Server on. And that is its actual operating system. I can't wait to see what you guys do with it. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, well, I'm just not doing very well at getting these uh, short, uh, shorter episodes in, am I? We're almost at an hour, which is what I usually do. So it may just be the universe telling me, it's going to be an hour, dude. No matter what you do, it's going to be an hour. Uh, what do we got here? From the very embarrassing book of dad jokes. We're going to try it one more time. A man went into a chip shop and asked for fish and chips twice. The man behind the counter said, I heard you the first time. Okay, that's not terrible. Uh, the patient says, Doctor, can you give me anything for wind? Doctor says, Have you tried a kite? <laughs>
uh, wind is another way that the the teetotaling British say farts. So, yeah. uh, why don't polar bears eat penguins? They can't get the wrappers off. See, penguins now, I'm pretty sure, is some kind of food in Britain that I have no idea what it is. That joke makes no sense to me whatsoever. It's okay. We're going to live to see another day, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.